So church, let not the glasses fool you. I am actually Nick Rogers, one of your pastors and elders here at CCF. Uh, you know, I tried to pull a Superman this morning. I did freak out some of my students that are in the student ministry. So very thankful that you're here this morning. And I wanted to start this morning by just a great reminder and an encouragement that God is here. His Holy Spirit is active specifically when his word is read and preached and when we sing his truths to him and to each other. So you are in the right place this morning. I'm thankful you're here. So this morning we're going to look real briefly at the context or the way that what's surrounding chapter 17 as we just read this morning. As we've been walking our way through Luke for the last uh, little bit of time, we've been seeing Jesus address the Pharisees in the last two chapters. Specifically, the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the Jewish community, which is where the gospel is coming through. And so he's addressing them in the way that they are not seeing him as the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come to earth. And they're missing out on the kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is breaking in among them through Jesus. And so there's a beautiful invitation in those chapters. All are welcome, and no matter your past, your status, your money, who your daddy is, it doesn't matter. All are welcome to this wedding feast that God has prepared through his son. And then also, we were left in chapter 16 with a pretty intense warning last week. Pastor Taylor preached that about riches and then the realities of eternal life, hell and heaven. And so if you haven't listened to that, I would encourage you to go back and listen because it will benefit you to see that warning. So I'm going to start our time off together with a main idea and a main application that I hope to track with you throughout the time this morning. The main idea is in the family of God, sins and stumbling blocks will happen between brothers and sisters. Therefore, we should seek forgiveness and repentance as we walk and ask for more faith in Jesus. And then, of course, that main idea flows right into this application, which you see on the screen. A church community centered on the doctrine, all doctrine is, is what we believe about God, doctrine of the gospel must be a community changed by the gospel. A church community centered on the doctrine of the gospel must be a community changed by the gospel. So for clarity, because in a room this big, it's easy to be confused about terms. When I say the word gospel, here's what I mean for you this morning. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who died and was resurrected to save sinners like you and me. That's good news, church. That's good news this morning. So belief and repentance then, faith, that's all what Taylor talked about last week. Faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of sin, and that good news in Jesus Christ brings us into the community of faith known as the church. 
And so, with all of that, Jesus now turns away from the Pharisees, and now he's talking to the disciples. That's the audience. Look in verse 1. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. So first, I think we see an immediate application of theology here. And it's this. Sin is serious. Sin separates us from God. And if you were here a couple weeks ago when I preached the last time, sin is that we've lived in with in the world that God created without reference to God and not obeying his law. That's every person that's ever lived, except Jesus. Sin is serious and it separates us from God. So for some of you, that is review. But for some of you, that's a brand new idea. And also, one of the cool things about the Bible, the New Testament is written in Greek. And then we come to this verse, and it says, temptations to sin. And that's kind of an interesting phrase. Don't see that very often in the New Testament. So for clarity, there are a few words that Greek has for sin. And to help us, if you look, if you have an ESV Bible and it has a footnote at the bottom, it says stumbling block. A stumbling block is something that leads someone else to sin. Something you do or say that leads someone else to sin. Remember, sin is living without reference to God in his world and breaking his law. So, there is a tremendous amount of weight on that. Gravity. How do I apply all of that? We could say a million things, Nick. You could pick all your pet peeves. And so, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to ask you one question. I think it's a good question. Is there anything I'm doing that is causing someone else to look away from Jesus and fall into sin. I ask that because the possibilities are endless. (laughs) Some of us need to look no farther. Sometimes we don't do this, but we need to look no farther than our social media, our text messages, our phone calls, our words, and our life. Is there anything I'm doing that is not lifting and building up people in my life? Let's remember our main idea. So we sin, offend, and stumble. And sometimes we will cause others to stumble into sin. But woe to the person that happens to. So this word woe is not like standing on the edge of the cliff like whoa. That's not what he's talking about. That's not that word. So don't think that word. Think woe, warning, heavy weight to it. It's a warning. So sin, again, the warning is this. Sin is not a good thing. So it's a woe. Woe to you who the temptation comes through. So it echoes back to chapter 6 in Luke. You can go read that later. In chapter 6, it's the Beatitudes in Luke's account. But then he gives six of those, and then he gives four woes. Four ways of living that are opposed to the kingdom and sin. So sin is serious here. And then the warning continues to the extreme. Look at verse 2. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So the little ones in the passage seem to either be talking about young people, our young people among us, little people that are young in age, or new believers, Baby Christians, those that are new to the faith. 
So, what are we meant to see from verse 2? You and I have the potential for extreme damage in people's lives. When we're younger, we tend to think we have no ability to damage anybody with our actions and words. And some of us that are older still think that. We can cause extreme damage with our lives and words and actions. But Jesus uses hyperbole. Hyperbole is basically an illustration or saying something that's extreme to make a point. He gives this image of this giant stone that's been used for crushing wheat, a millstone. And the severity of what it means to lead others to sin or to even fall away from the Lord. Sin is serious. So he says, it would be better to tie that around your neck in hyperbole than to cause someone else to sin. Can I clarify though? Jesus is not saying go kill yourself. That is not what he's saying. I know that because I've read the rest of the Bible, all right? He's not saying that. But some of us need real big wake-up calls with illustrations. And so Jesus is saying that to his disciples. He gives them imagery or hyperbole to show them the gravity of sin and what it can mean and how how destructive it can be in our lives and in our churches. So verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. First, the most clear part is pay attention to yourselves. I've coined a term or phrase here that I think is helpful. Jesus is asking us to you, he's asking us for the urgency of self-evaluation. Does anybody like to look at themselves and see where they failed? No. You're weird if that's true, okay? If you like to do that, just see all the ways you mess up. None of us like to do it, so what do we do? We hide that. We don't address our problems, right? We don't look in ourselves to see where we might be the issue. Guys, we can't, church, we cannot neglect analyzing where we interact with people. So some of the elders and some companies and other terms that I, this term I've been hearing over and over and over again in many books is a term called emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is simply a test that helps you see five categories of where you are interacting with people and where that may have friction. Because of our personalities or our tendencies to sin. We as Christians would call it sin, they would call it just your personality. So verse three, look at verse three with me. Here's the flow of Jesus' argument. If your brother sins, okay, so if they sin, church, listen very carefully to what I'm gonna say. If they sin, what I mean is chapter verse in the Bible sin. Not, I hate clear glasses, Nick's wearing clear glasses, I'm gonna go rebuke this brother. He's in sin. No, that's not in the Bible. So if they sin, chapter and verse in the Bible, Rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Simple formula, hardest thing to do. 
So let's consider these two words, rebuke and forgiveness, which I think are the hardest to understand. So first, what does biblical rebuke even mean? To rebuke someone is to criticize him or her pointedly, gently might I add, for a particular observed sinful behavior that is clear in Scripture. Rebuke appears a lot in the New Testament in terms of our relationship with one another, okay? And it always has a lot of fencing parameters for which it's supposed to happen and the attitude it's supposed to happen. I would highly suggest you to go to the Gospel Coalition and look up Kevin DeYoung's three different articles on this topic. It's a, it, I should have given this clarification at the beginning. I had it in my notes and I forgot to say it. I will not say everything about rebuke and forgiveness there is to say. You'd be here a long time and you'd hate me by the end. So I'm giving you resources. Go to this one. There's a lot to think about. It's in all the New Testament, so we definitely need to look at it. But I'm going to pull a quote from this to help us out. Galatians 6.1 says, Restore your brother gently. 2 Timothy 2.25 tells us to correct our opponents with gentleness. A gentle answer, Proverbs tells us, turns away wrath. It was always Paul's desire to come in a spirit of gentleness. The rod was only the last resort. Church, our tendency, and my tendency, and all of our tendency, is the Bible presents a very beautiful, incredible, gospel-centered way forward, and we fall on the ditches. We really like ditches. They feel good and comfortable. What are the two ditches here? Well, the first one is that a lot of us are way too heavy-handed. We come in hot and heavy and mean and aggressive. Just ask your children which one you fall into. And for those of you who don't have children, ask a friend. We come in really hot, angry. I got my stuff to get across to you. You're evil. Get this right. Start doing better. Do that. That's our rebukes. Or we're on the other side of the ditch, and we never rebuke. We never call anybody out. We'll go to heaven, just burdened to death with all this pain and frustration and watching this person just jump off a cliff because we'll never rebuke them. There's two ditches there. The Bible lays out a beautiful road forward. It's a very difficult road, though. So we are as called as Christians to do this. I want to throw up our abiding together statement that we read in our members' meetings. So if you're a member at CCF, we read this together. It's beautiful, and this is what we're called to do if you're a member at CCF. Walking together in Christian love, exercising care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully encouraging and warning one another as the occasion may, acquire, may require. Striving for the advancement of this church in the knowledge, holiness, and obedience in accordance with the Holy Scripture. Discipling any that may be in our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by a godly and loving example, seeking the salvation of our family and friends. See, that is a beautiful community that those outside the church will see and those inside the church will feel and be blessed by. Because the Holy Spirit, God is in that. So we, we then see repentance. Repentance is a very beautiful word that it simply means turning from sin to Christ. 
or if someone has offended you, turning from your sin that they've exposed to forgiveness, asking for forgiveness. It's an important, crucial part of the Christian life. See, repentance is how we live as Christians daily. As we're shaped by the doctrine of the gospel, it changes us as repentant people. So now let's ask, what is biblical forgiveness? Well, Chris Bronze, and I apologize, it's supposed to be a short, simple definition. It doesn't feel that way. So here's what biblical forgiveness is. A commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. Appreciate that qualifier at the end. I already told you, I can't say everything there is to say. But I loved this article by Andrea Thom, so I would encourage you to go read it. It was a great article. Here's what she says, and I'm going to quote it in length because it's so good. Forgiveness applies to major offenses. Major offenses that require discussion to people to meet and talk about it in order for reconciliation or resolution to occur. It does not mean forgetting or excusing egregious acts. It does not insist that reconciliation be immediate or return to its previous form. We could say abuse and other things in that nature may not go back to the same way it was, right? However, it does cost deeply. Forgiveness still costs us deeply because through it we choose to lay down our right to have our offender owe us. It asks us to extend love and kindness even when it's undeserved. To trust God to avenge our situation instead of ourselves. And to use life's conflicts as opportunities to display godly character. That's a good one. This is an forgiveness is an opportunity for us to grow. To be stretched and changed by the gospel. So forgiveness is a command for all believers to the repentant. Tim Keller, in his amazing book on forgiveness, I would highly recommend this book. If, our, if a relationship has broken down, it is always your move to initiate the relationship. Re, the relationship repair. Matthew 5 says, if your brother has something against you, go to him. While Matthew 18 says, if, if you have something against your brother, go to him. So it doesn't matter who started it. A Christian is responsible to begin the process of reconciliation regardless of how the alienation began. Great resource, please go read it. It's a great book. So, church, can we just take a deep breath, right? Everybody breathe. That's a lot of stuff, it's a lot of doctrine. But that's a lot of heavy stuff. Now I'm gonna give you the good stuff. What is the source? the heart, the guts, the gravitational center of a Christian's forgiveness. Where would we even start? Well, I think we should start with what was the greatest act of forgiveness that was ever done. Psalm 130, 3-4 says this, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities or sins, O Lord, who could stand before you? The answer is no one. He doesn't, it's a hypothetical question. But with you, with you, Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. 
Church, my friend, look at your life before God and just come under the weight of that. You have offended God your entire life every day with our sin. It's in the trillions. (laughs) It's immensely a problem. We are people of unclean lips that have lived amongst people of unclean lips. We're all sinners. What can we do? The answer was nothing on our own. But do you remember, church, at the beginning, what are we even talking about this morning? We're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. The gospel What is all the Bible even about, the thing that you're holding in your hand? It's about God coming to earth. Trinity, beautiful Trinity. Second person of the Trinity coming to earth, known as the Son of Man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he looks at that amazing amount of debt that you owe him. And he comes to us and he looks at us and he says, I know you don't love me. But I love you with immense love. And I know you're still going to kill me on a cross. I'll forgive you for that. Church, are you alive this morning? Amen. Because if it wasn't for this truth, you're wasting your time and you should go get ready for the Super Bowl. Because it's all just going nowhere. If this is not true. But the amazing thing is, Jesus is not dead in the grave. He is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit is here in power to forgive you of sin. Amen. Are you alive this morning, church? If you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus... This is good news. It's not up to you to forgive. Because you've been forgiven immense debts. Whoa, Jesus is good. You, it's okay to cheer in here and then cheer at the Super Bowl too, okay? Look at this slide. We forgive. You and I can forgive each other because God first loved us. Because Christ first forgave us in immense debt of sin. And we pay that forgiveness forward seven times a day if necessary. See, we're in the proper place to forgive each other when we have first seen what we have been forgiven of. All of a sudden, no matter how egregious that act was, when I compare it to myself before an almighty God, it just doesn't seem the same, does it? But Nick, this takes great faith to forgive. I don't have this kind of faith. You're right. 
In yourself, you do not have this kind of faith. Because the disciples asked the same question I just asked you, and you're already asking. Verse 5, look what they say. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase it. Uh, What you just said makes no sense. That's impossible. I don't have that kind of faith to forgive. I need mega faith like that to forgive. It's got to be universe-sized faith to get to forgive the way you're talking about. Jesus responds with the most misquoted verse in the Bible. Verse 6, and the Lord said, the Lord, by the way, the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, which is the smallest, you could say to that mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Church, as one of your pastors, I get the privilege of knowing some of the hardest things that you're going through. Some of you are just hiding that because you don't want to appear like your faith is fading away. Do you ever feel like your faith just isn't enough? Do you wrestle with doubt? Are you questioning your salvation on a daily basis? Are you ashamed when you look at other people and they look so put together and their faith seems so alive and yours just feels like it's never there? I have wonderful news. This morning, the sun came up over the horizon and Jesus gives you fresh mercy. New good news for today. See, what is all the Bible about? It's about a person, right? Fresh mercy. Jesus says to those who are weary and heavy laden with burdens, come to me, for I am gentle and lowly, and I'll give you rest. Does forgiveness seem like a burden? All the weight of what they've done, too great to forgive. It is impossible to forgive this way by human standards, but the beautiful thing is, and I want you to see this, this is what the verse means. It does not mean if I look at a mountain and say, get out of here and as long as we're stirring up faith in this room and we're all having it mountains will get out of here and move that's not what this means this text means if you're a smoldering wick like the the flames about to go out the the side the mustard seed is if you have this much faith this much it's hanging on by a thread if you have that much you can forgive If the faith, this is important, is in the source, if it's in the right object, if the faith is in the right thing, even if it's a mustard seed size. See, without Jesus, this is impossible. 
Forgiveness is not for Christians of superior faith. It is for those with mustard seed faith. See, we look through the Bible and we see people all throughout it who had really terrible faith. Honestly, it looks completely absent. And then we get to Hebrews and Hebrews is like listing them all off. We're like, Samson? Samson's in this list? He's in heaven? That dude messed up the whole time. That's the point, isn't it? Mustard seed. See, this is an illustration. It's not a reality. It's not meant to be taken literally, just like the millstone wasn't. This is an illustration. It's about the object, the power of the object of the faith. That's what this is about. Charles Spurgeon said, our life is found in looking to Jesus unto Jesus, not in looking at our own faith, but by faith, all things are possible to us. Here it is, church. Yet the power is not in the faith, but in the God in whom the faith relies. And we've been trying to do this without the right object. No wonder we feel broken. Maybe today, We need to look at the object of our faith, Jesus. See, our faith is located in a person, not in our performance. And we get that mixed up. It's located in Jesus. Jen Oshman, she says this in her helpful article on faith. It is not the power of my faith that delivers me. So the power for our salvation lies in the strength of our God not in the strength of our faith. And Jesus says, look to me. Come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus promises to work when our faith is as small as a mustard seed. For it isn't the size of our faith that finally matters, but, the one, but he who is the object. We tend to hear passages like this and think, how can I do that? When it should be, he can do that. Jesus is teaching us that stunning things happen if we have the right source. So what do I do this week, Nick, with all of you said? How do I do this? Well, I'll give you some helpful pointers. The main idea, I think, is something you need to keep in mind of this text. This is a great text to go to and think about and dwell on and meditate. But remember, stumbling blocks and sins are going to happen here at CCF. They're going to happen. We're going to fall short sometimes. We're going to mess up. We're going to hurt each other. But we ask for faith in the source of our faith so that we can forgive one another. Repentance, of course, is the mark of a believer. It should be your regular daily pattern. Rebuking is to be done with gentleness and self-control. Clear scripture to take to the person with a gentle heart. Forgiveness is a gift of the Holy Spirit in faith in Christ. Understanding how much Jesus has done for us and forgiven us of will help us forgive others well. And then finally, faith is the assurance of things unseen. Remember, Jesus says, look to me, come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Lord, 
It is not the size of our faith that finally matters. It is the object of our faith. Jesus, help us when our faith is small. Give us grace to look to the object of our faith. In your name we pray, amen.